May 9th, 2022, the St. Mark's Anti-Racism Alliance invited Willie Stewart of Tacoma to talk with us about our community history. A longtime public school educator, Mr. Stewart became the first black school principal in Tacoma history when he took the role at Lincoln High School in 1970. Over the years, he has continued to be a leader and practitioner of racial reconciliation in our city, and he was awarded the Greater Tacoma Peace Prize in 2019. Today's podcast is a recording of that conversation, and we begin with an introduction from Pastor Jan Root. So thank you all for being here this evening. We've been very much looking forward to this. Uh, And um, I've been at a few gatherings in my life when people start by saying, here's a man who needs no introduction. (laughs) And I really feel that way because even just what I have observed as we've been gathering here this evening is that so many of you already have a really uh, great and long relationship with Willie Stewart from so many ways that he's been involved in community life. And I think that's a testimony to you, Willie, that just wherever you go, people <laughs> are aware of the ways that you've had such an impact on our whole community for so many decades, and we're really thankful. That's uh, one of our one of our things we want to express to you is just our gratitude for you as a member of our community and a leader, and all of the ways that you have really uh, impacted lives. And I was really uh, grateful when the community acknowledged that with the Greater Tacoma Peace Prize in 2019. So congratulations yeah. from us, too, on that. And we are, as, I, as we've been talking about, um, as an anti-racism alliance, uh, very much wanting to understand and know stories more that help us understand just what has been happening, what, is, uh, what are realities that we have to confront, Uh, and even acknowledge and in many ways be a part of hopeful transformation. So thank you, and I I know you'll say a little bit more about your own story too, so Willie Stewart. Thank you, Pastor. I share with him that I would do this in five brief parts. First, just who I am. Then I'm going to cover education, employment, housing, and politics from a perspective of a black man. I grew up in Texas. For 22 years, I was in Texas. Our family were sharecroppers. My mother and father gave birth by one union to 11 children. Oh, my. I'm number 10. Poor mama. She was 16 at the age of the first birth. 38 when I was born, and 43 when my baby sister was born. For a long time, no one knew my name as Willie Stewart. They knew I was a Stewart boy. And the reason for that, because I upset everyone because I was born on Christmas Day. (laughs) And it all went through time. Sister Stewart gave birth to a baby today. And so that was the adoption of Willie Stewart. I grew up in this in a community with two communities, an African-American community and a non-African-American community with total separation in everything. So I was the age of 22 before I first sat next to a person 
in a classroom environment that didn't look like me. And that was in Washington State history, the UPS in the fall of 1960. I grew up in a school, one site, all 12 grades, went to a college at Texas Southern University, and the most notable graduate from that class was probably Barbara Jordan, who was a longtime congressman who was known for her leadership when it was the impeachment of Mr. Nixon. What inspired me to make the difference? The uniqueness of it, the military changed the lives of our whole family. I had four brothers to serve in World War II. One was at Fort Lewis. One was at Fort Lawton. One was at Camp Fairchild, Spokane. And when I hit in 58, where do I go? Fort Lewis, all from Texas. Very unusual, very unusual. Now, when I arrived in 1958 at Fort Lewis, I was there for two years. And in the spring of 1960, my mother knew that I was scheduled to get out uh, in August. I had been teaching for one year in Texas. And she said, I've been praying. My mother prayed all the time. I love you, but I don't want you to come back to Texas. Because they've started integration, and the black male teachers are not being retained, especially in the small communities. And I know how you feel. And since you are close to the president, you could possibly get a job. So that was her level of geography and understanding of history. So, so I made that decision to obey her, and I just scribbled a letter while I was in the pup tent to, to the common school district. You didn't have typewriters for letters, you just scribble, you know, hope that's legible enough to be read. And I had an interview in May, and I go downtown and there for 40 minutes, and I'm wondering now, what's something's wrong here? And I said, Mr. Hoare, I came down to talk about a teaching position. He said, oh, shucks, Texan, you were hired before you got here. Here's another Texan. <laughs> that was my interview. That was my assignment. And he said, oh, by the way, the principal and assistant principal, they be working at Gulf Junior High on their way to pick you up. And I go out to show you how blessings are. I'm all dressed up in my classes, really sharp, you know. I was small then, not now. <laughs> Fred Heaney and George Miller. George Miller, a strong, active Navy man. Fred Heaney, a past uh, Navy man. So we, it was a marriage right from the beginning. At that point, which I was not aware of until a few weeks later, that I was the first black male teacher assigned to a secondary school in Tacoma. And there were five other females who had been assigned, but they were all in elementary schools and primarily at two schools. McCarver and Lister, basically where the black population was. And then there was one high school teacher, and there was Willie Muse, who was at Stadium High School. Then the next male teacher hired was Esther Wilfong, who went to Launchmont. That was the environment. The basic thing was 
there was not much assignment of African-American teachers, if so, they were selected areas. But an interesting thing in terms of development, in terms of Tacoma and the leadership, when you move into the mid-60s, you know what's happening across the country and all. And we were fortunate enough to have probably the most progressive and dynamic superintendent ever been in the state of Washington, in the late Angelo Giotroni, who was raised in the coal mines of Cleano, went to Harvard, Washington State, but he had a heart for people. And his sidekick was a strong Lutheran by the name of Trinkley Blix. And I teamed up with, since we didn't have teachers here, he said, Let's, I said, we have to go where they are. They're not at WSU, they're not at the University of Washington, Central Washington, Eastern Washington, but you have to go to the historical black colleges because there, the blacks could only do three things. Teach, preach, or be a social worker. So it was saturated with teachers. So I joined Trigby, who went to 14 schools, and we brought persons to town like Connie Lassiter, Gilda Oliver, and others. And then we took the next step, this district, all of the leadership, Angelo Gironi. The next step he took was to take people who were paras, teamed up with PLU, what they call career opportunities program, and advanced persons. I mean, that's the kind of leadership that came from Tacoma with one person. Then he took the next step. There was not a single black administrator in the whole system. In 1965, he made a decision that he wanted someone on his staff. And he went to meet Washington and selected Gene Barkenridge to be a part of his staff for community reasons. Then in the July of 66, I was on my way to, to camp. I was in the reserve. And Dr. Giordani had left a message at my home that he wanted me to call him at 10 the next morning. I drove to the service station in Utah and made the call. He said, I'd like you to join. I was already teaching at Go. So I'd like you to, and I was already in programs for my credentials to be the assistant principal at Go. And that was fine. And in 1970, as a, only in his own way, we had five men on the school board. Jim Bowles from Insurance Certificate, Gillingham from the car business, uh, Sturbeck, who was an attorney, Big John Anderson, the farmer, and one other person. And he said, gentlemen, it's time for us to take another step. And I want to name a principal in this district of an African background. And they said, who would it be? He said, it's Willie Stewart, Lincoln High School assistant principal. And I want him to, he's been there for one year, and I want him as principal. But what I didn't know, it kind of caught me off guard because I wasn't aware of this. And I found out that my assistant, my principal, uh, who had been there, had gone to the superintendent and said that his assistant principal provided better leadership for the student body and staff than he did. And he didn't want to stand in his way. And that was all I knew about it. Planted some great people. But the thing that's of interest was leadership for Angelo 
to take that stand. But another unique thing happened in that relationship. The person I replaced to go to Lincoln was Oliver Magnuson. And Oliver Magnuson had taken leave to go to WSU to get his doctorate. And he was going to come back to Lincoln as assistant principal. And I vetoed him. I said, you bring him back. I said, why are you bringing him as an assistant? He can just be the principal. No, we have a special job for him. I said, what is that job? He said, he's going to be the principal designee for Henry Falls that will open in 72. I said, if that's the case, let's make his title Principal Falls Designee Special Assignment to me, which would take away from the staff thinking that I had undermined him. And it worked out fine, because what happens when you have a new school? Everybody wants to go to it anyway. That's fine. But what they still want to know to this day, that he and I sat in a room privately and went through the whole staff business and made the decision who would be retained and who would go. You know, that was the kind of relationship with openness and honesty. Yeah. A couple other things about education I want to say, then I'll move to the area. Tacoma was one of the first cities in this country that did not get run over by activist groups telling the superintendent what he needed to do because of his vision. He recognized it. And part of Angelo Teodron's training was his willingness to be associated with others. Most persons don't know that he personally invited Roy Wilkins, who was the executive director for the NAACP, to come to Tacoma and spend some time with him and businessmen so they could be proactive rather than reacting. And that made a fair bit difference. That's why I love that guy so dearly to this day. And he was a Methodist, but he practiced the principles of Christianity. He practiced good human behavior. And I want to say to this day in Tacoma, I'm proud of Tacoma School District because it's totally inclusive. Even he reached out, most districts didn't honor especially at students with special needs, the physical handicap and the severe. So under the leadership of the late Henry Burgess and Angelo Giatroni, we are one of the star districts for that. In fact, it was the only school district in Pierce County with it. And when these surrounding districts saw there was money in the program, they all started. And what they, they selected a director from the Combs Group to go to the university place, to go to Sunderland, to go to Puyallup, Gig Harbor, because we had set this. Now, that's enough for education. And we've established now in our district a strong profile of leadership positions, of teaching positions. And the challenge today is not the ethnic thing is getting people to want to be in education because lifestyle has changed for families and for the students and it's a real challenge. Now let me move to the economic part of Tacoma. When I arrived here in 1960 in the community, the African American primarily worked at Bowens, the shipyard, Fort Lewis, and that was a place that just closed, that, uh, that was what they called Renier Artemis. They moved and went to Utah. There was no persons in any capacity in the department stores, or clerks or anything like that in the grocery stores, or even servers in the restaurants. Yeah. But I will say today, that's different. Because there was a variety of things that happened. 
lot of us from the leadership of this, the Tacoma Chamber of Commerce, we had some strong people who recognized that we want to be a city that was really a city of destiny and a city that's really open. So now you can see persons in all of those places because of that. The next place I want to talk about, which was an interesting one, is politics. In 1960 up until about 68, all political positions were primarily held by white males. No persons of color. But for a variety of reasons, it has changed. And today, it's unique, over unique. Here's a city, Tacoma, Washington, today. A black superintendent, Carlos Santano. A black United Way executive, Donald Palapinto. A black fire chief, Tony. A black uh, a police chief, fire chief and police chief. Leadership in other positions throughout. For those persons who would, if they could come back for two days, they would not believe this is the same Tacoma. That's the kind of the openness that, that's here. And that's the kind of thing that's happened, which I'm very proud of our city, very proud of our community. Three people on the city council, just a myriad of places. Persons, we have a, uh, on all the boards, whether it's United Way, whether it's Goodwill, Boys and Girls Club, they are members of Rotary, they are members of Kiwanis, throughout. And that makes a better community when you have that. The next point I want to talk about is housing, which is kind of a unique one. In the early 60s, up until the mid-60s, blacks were primarily in two places in Tacoma. Not all of Hilltop, but the south part of Hilltop, going south off of uh, Martin Luther King Way, which used to be K Street, and the rest was a section of Salishan because of public housing. And the rest is pretty much in the area where the current Emma Queen Casino is. Uh. It all used to be housing. That's where they primarily were. Then you had a small number just where the uh, Costco, if you're not aware of it, that was a public housing area, and some of those buildings are still there. That's where Bobby Moore and Margaret Short grew up in that area. See? And that was triggered by inability to get loans. <clears throat> no one really talked about it, but redlining was real. And the realtors made a major part of this, but also the individual citizens. In 1965, go back and check, there was an open house ordinance put before the public. And it was to ask for open housing based on income. And the community voted it down. The, tr the tragedy of all that to me is that I saw many petitions being signed by persons as they were leaving churches on Sunday. That troubled me for persons who believe that it's flat at the cross <clears throat> and open to everyone not having acceptance. Because I'm convinced for those who have that faith, there won't be those demarcations at that time. But in a period of time with the passage of certain laws, 
But laws don't really change people. It's the heart that changes persons. And I have a personal testimony to the redlining. In the whole housing. When I arrived in 1960, I, there was not a single apartment would accept me. I'm a teacher. I've served the United States military. One after the other. So I spent my first year, I was a bachelor. I spent my first year living in a cubbyhole at 4914 South L Street with a group of good Baptist friends from Georgia. So in the summer when I got married, I came back, the same experience. So I was able to get a house with a $200 payment. You would never do that today. <laughs> at 6206 South Oaks. And only one person in that neighborhood would speak to me. And that person happened to have been a cook in the Tacoma School District who had a heart. And she chastised the neighborhood about their behavior. She died last summer at the age of 99. They had a great side service. And the kids had no idea that I would be there. When I walked up and the son saw me, he screamed and said, that's the guy that mother cursed out the neighborhood about. <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. And um, that worked out fine. So then it's, after being there for a few years, I moved to Mount Tahoma Meadows. And I stayed there for about four years. Then I decided I wanted to live closer to Henry Falls or Wilson. And the house became available in Fircrest. This is why I know that God takes care of his people. When it was time for the house purchase, the realtor called me. It happened to have been the nephew of my first principal. He said, I have this house. He went across the street to Puget Sound Bank. Neil Harrison was there, along with the Clarence Lion Gang that we lost a few weeks. And I had been acquainted with those guys. They said, we want to finance it. And they did. And then Frank Hawkins walked the streets and told them that a person would be coming, but he wouldn't tell them who. And finally I arrived, and the saving grace there, my neck, the neighbor directly across from me, because when he saw my symbol on my car, he said, I have another colonel on the block with me, and we're going to have a good time. One person made all the difference. I won't tell you who the neighbors were, because I was disappointed. They were persons that I often saw in the school system, but it worked out fine. And we're still out of day, and we're all good friends. So housing was a real issue. And I'm glad that you find people living in every place now, based upon their income. The final point uh, that I want to address um, before I open up to any, any question is to let you know that there are people who make a difference. And I want to just share beyond Angelo Giardoni a couple of other persons who made a real difference. The late 
Charles Lawson. He was a noted pathologist, internationally known for screening on autopsies. He was also the president of the National Boxing Association. And two of his best friends were Isla Charles, Bob, Joe Lewis, and, and a couple of others. He was the commander of the 359 Pearl Armour Hospital at 5119 Poland Avenue. That's my, that was my assignment to that unit. And I was in the lab section because they trained as a lab technician. And my assignment was in this section to go with him on Sundays to perform autopsies. And that's what we did together. And so he looked at my record and he said, I see, Stuart, you're ready. You, you have a two-year obligation. Your two years are up. And you're an E5. You're going to be E6. I don't think I can keep you as an enlisted. He said, would you consider a reserve commission? And I said, yes. Then he called Hap Soul, who was a special ed teacher at Jason Lee, Lieutenant Colonel, assistant to the general, to the, to the, to the colonel, said, I want you to convene a commission uh, committee, and I don't want any foolishness. I think you think that. So the committee was, was convened. It was interesting. I found out what he meant during the course of that, because one person on that, he only had one question. What would be my responsibility between the conflict of a black soldier and a white soldier? And I quoted him, FM 15, all the army manuals, because I knew all of those. And after he asked a third time, then the chairman of the board, Colonel Lyman, to, uh, told him, step aside. That's enough. And I was commissioned in February 1963 as a first lieutenant because I was 27 and a half years of age, and you cannot be a second lieutenant when you're over, over 27. And then I went through the normal schools, and because of the confidence that Colonel Larson played with me, I, did, I maximized my time in Army training and all the units, and I could say that I retired in 1990 as a current full bird in the medical service because of that one person with confidence in me and the spirit. Another person we'll bring up, you may not be aware of, is a guy named Jim Owens, longtime coach for the University of Washington. 1969, for those who are around, that was a, the strong part of 1968 from the Olympics, the clinched fists on the, on the sands, well, that was carried over. And the players from the University of Washington chose not to accompany the team to California. And they lost 53 to the zero. So that following Monday, they convened the athletes. And one of the things they wanted was players, some black men on the team. And so they gave them 13 black men, Luther Carr, that whole group from Seattle, and Jim Owens said, I'm going to add one more. They said, who is that? He said, Willie Stewart in Tacoma. Because Jim Owens had suspended a player from Tacoma two years ago because of inappropriate behavior with an adult. They punched him rather than the adult. And so we met with him, got him reinstated. And from that time on, he and I won first name basis. Even I saw him just before he died. Because he remembered the person who assisted him. And he cared about people. He cared about everyone. 
and we had a good time. I want to close with some unique experiences I've had that I'm so proud of. In addition to the great Tacoma Peace Prize, which had to be number one, not because she's here, <laughs> because it was real. It was real because I saw something I'd never seen before. I mean, I went 10 days over there and I never saw a police officer. And then when I did see one, they were just standing talking to each other. And the only time we really saw one was on the day of the, uh, the, the ceremony, only because there was a group from uh, EPA that had threatened to uh, boycott because they felt the person receiving it shouldn't have. But beyond that, and then, and then they had the big ceremony stance, and this, the sheriff was a female, about 5'1", she had guns on both hips, and she marched them through. It was quite a very impressive ceremony. And everybody was patient. Everybody spoke four or five languages. And I was trying to be polite to the concierge and concentrate congratulated her on her, her competence in English. And I said, where in the United States are you from? Boy, that face changed real fast. I'm from Norway. And, and I, I, I speak five languages, and, and, and English is not one of them. We grew up with that. So, <laughs> So that, that, so that was really, really huge. And, and probably the other highlight, I had a chance to meet the most hated coach in America, by many, Woody Hayes, from Ohio State. When I was the, I was the national president of all school personnel administrators. And I had a, we had a meeting in Columbus, Ohio. And I ran into him in the cafeteria. And when he found out I was from Tacoma, he only said one word. The greatest football player we ever went against was from Tacoma, Washington, Don Moore. And uh, some of the older person would know him. He was so great from Lincoln and all. So that's pretty much uh, what I want to say. I give Tacoma an A plus in all the areas. And yet there's room for growth. But I think the greatest growth, and I'm being very honest about, and not just in Tacoma, but in entire nation, we need to stand up and live the principles of Christianity if we call ourselves Christians. And it's all in one word, love. And I've experienced it. And in fact, I want to personalize it. I, Christine Anderson is here. Her husband was the most unbelievable one-on-one -on -one person I've ever been associated with in Tacoma. He saw me running for the school board. Out of clear blue sky, he said, I want to be your treasurer. We raised more money than any other time. And when it was over, he said, you should now take the group out for dinner. We did. And he said, well, if we have so much money left, I think you need to start a scholarship. And it should be about volunteerism, because that's what you've been about. And for 20 years, we did that. Even not doing the tournament, but the money is there. We're living off the principal, uh, the interest from the principal. And that's the kind of experience, that's the kind of excitement I've had in Tacoma, person like that. Let me respond to any questions that any of you might have. Our comments. I've kind of skimmed over, but if you have any specifics, I'd be more than happy to respond. Thank you. Sure this is on here. Yeah. So who would like to start? Uh, we've got. If we, I think if we take about thirty minutes, that'd be great. We've that'd be terrific. Yeah. I don't want to time together, so this is just a good open time to visit. So, anyone want to be the first to? So while people are thinking about it, uh, Willie, I, one of the things that we've talked about a lot is just how much uh, anything related to, to um, relationships, and especially around anti-racism, 
is something that you have to be in for the long haul. You know, that it can't be something that's just for a year or two years or five years, but it has to be, you have to be really able to continue for, you know, the, uh, a lifetime, really. And I, I'm just, I think you've shared a lot about this already, but um, like just from within you, what has, what's kept you <laughs> going? Uh, just, you know, I think you have such an amazingly hopeful spirit, and I'm sure that's part of it, but, you know, just to be, to be at the place that you're at and have seen what you've seen, what, what has, you know, what are those things that have really kept you uh, committed and going and, and hopeful along the way? Because I just, I just uh, feel but, so much hope within you. But and, two, uh, yeah. two groups. Uh, first of all, children, kids. I can still remember my first week at Gold. Every time this change of period, there would be a group of black students around my door. And a couple of them would rub my hands. They thought I was being painted. <laughs> they were not being facetious. That was real with them. Dear. So you don't forget that experience. Yeah. Another one at golf, this young black lady went home and told her father, Mrs. Stewart is mean. He doesn't like me. And the father worked at, uh, up in Seattle, in, in Renton, at General, General GSA, General Service Administration. He lived to be 101, by the way. Um, and so he said, well, I'll come up to the school. So I'm assistant principal there. And so he comes in, brings in his daughter, Patricia. His name was, her name is Patricia Sheridan. He was Robert Sheridan. And he said, uh, Patricia, now Mr. Stewart's here, tell me what your problem is. She started crying. What had happened was, we had what they called high achievement classes at that time. And she had been selected to be a high achiever. But she was the only black student in the class. So the other black students during lunchtime would tease her oh, dear. that you're better than we are. That you know all those kinds of things, and it intimidated her. And so at that point, Mr. Sheridan stood up and said, "Goodbye, Mr. Stewart's in charge." This young lady today ended up as one of the largest practices in the state of Florida as a surgeon for babies. Extremely, extremely talented. And when I was running for, no, it was a fundraiser for a building that was, uh, for a, uh, a room that was being built out at the East Side Center. And the note went out to support me. And she wrote, sent a check for $1,000 and simply said, he loved me. That experience will never forget. Yeah. Probably another one that really took place was two summers ago. The fellow who was my platoon sergeant in basic training, Roscoe Van Buren, ended up retiring and living in the Lincoln district and three daughters went through Lincoln. And he had often talked about me and I to them. So when he died, 
I get a phone call from one of the daughters that we want you to do a eulogy for our dad. Because of the relationship you had with him in the military, and more importantly, what you mentioned three daughters. That that did move me. Um, probably another experience too was when we had what you call back to school night. You acquainted with those. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and there was not a seat left in my rooms for the five sessions. And then at the end of the, of the thing, that was this white couple standing next door. You know, and I'm curious. I said, I'm wondering what went wrong. And she introduced herself. Her husband was an engineer with Bowens, and she was her graduate of PLU and the teacher certificate. She said, I just want you to know that our daughter had come home and said they didn't care how many classes they covered for the kids, but they wanted to make sure they came to my room. But she said she never told me that you were black. <laughs> and I said to her, listen to your daughter. <laughs> and probably a, another fun experience I had was at Lincoln High School in 1971. It was uh, beginning of my second year as principal. The library was packed with PTA. They were divided. One half wanted the girls to wear pants, one half no pants, and, and, they, and they argued, they argued for at least 40 minutes. And I'm in the back of the room, and the PTA is going, you know, why are we arguing among ourselves? Let's talk to the principal. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I slowly walked to the front of the room and openly said, I don't have an answer, but I have a recommendation. So well, what's that recommendation? I said, why don't you go to the mall and check out all the department stores and see what they're promoting for the students and the adults to wear. The next day, about 4 o'clock, I'm still in the office. I get this phone call. Mr. Stewart, you won. You won. I said, what are you talking about? Well, the girls can wear anything. I said, did I take a position? <laughs> <laughs> and so that solved it. But that was only, it was only solved for one week. Because the next week, my most outstanding English teacher, Lily Rose, I mean, she is dynamic. She came into my office, shaking her thing at me, saying, if the girls can wear pants, why can't the teachers wear pants? I said, did anyone tell you you couldn't? And she just got the end of it. <laughs> but, but you know who profited off of that? Was Nostrum yeah. and why am I sure? Because he went down and bought five hundred dollar suits. <laughs> and today they pay hundred and fifty dollars web pants and hole in them. <laughs> I mean, so, so so that's it. And then I want to share one other experience too I had in there. That was a fun experience. You don't realize some of the really, really brilliant students out of Lincoln. I want to mention a few of those in a minute. But I'm in the office and these five young Singers, all white, said, We want to talk to you. And so I take my seat, and I'm just wondering, I'm fishing, but, well, we will tell you, we have been observing you and tracking you 
for over three months. And we found out something. I said, what did you find out? He said, you don't care who you are. You love us all. <laughs> and that, that gave me the most confidence of all. And, and that's just the way it was. And one other experience, too. Angelo Giordroni, our superintendent, very scholarly. So I saw him one day. I said, Dr. Giordroni, have you ever seen a basketball game or an athletic event of the Tacoma schools? He said, no. I said, would you respond to an invitation? He said, yes. And I invited him to Lincoln High School. It was the night we were playing Wilson. It was a packed house. I mean, it was packed. And uh, at the end of the game, he was still at the end of the, uh, the gym. And so I said, you didn't leave? He said, no, I, I had to stay. I said, what happened? He said, I saw something I never thought I'd see. I saw you talking to all the parents, and the parents seemed to know you. <laughs> I said, well, that's my secret to being successful, to know the parents. <laughs> and you, you know the kids. You know? And so that was a unique experience. Then one was uh, those who knew Tony Shelton, the business manager. He was tough. He, I mean, he was a tough one. And so our, we had a track team that was undefeated in 1972, but going to... The last state track meet they had at Washington State. And our cheerleaders had never left anything beyond Seattle. And so I talked to the wives of the track coaches if they would uh, be super advising, supervising the girls if I were able to get them transportation. So I went down to Mr. Shelton and told him I wanted a 15-passenger van with the expense of the school district. He said, resounding no. I just didn't accept it. So I said, I'm going to put myself on the line. So I went right up to the superintendent. <laughs> I said, Dr. Giorgione, it's about some kids who need the cultural experience of being on a college campus. It's the idea that there's something greater than that coma. He said, plan on your trip. So Tony calls me later and, and yields. But you know, after that, he and I became inseparable friends. Yeah. Because he understood that it was not about what it should. It was about those kids. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, that's all you need. You can go forever because that's what it's all about and nothing else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do have some involvement with the church. You need to be aware of that. I've been a member of the location at 9th and Market Street since April 5th, 1963. It was First Baptist, now serving Grace. But in 1995, we had gotten down to about maybe 40 members from originally over 2,000 people moving. We felt we had to have something to, in order to stay there. And so we decided to have a community. We wanted to have a meal. So we examined for evening meals. They were around. We thought about noon meals, but no one, and we all work. So we thought about a breakfast program on Sunday morning. The first Sunday we had about six, the third Sunday about ten, and the fourth Sunday about twenty. Then we said we're going to give it one more week, and then suddenly we hit over fifty. And from 1995 on, we got high as 500, mm -hmm. and leveled with an average of 250. And we were that way up until the pandemic, 
And when the pandemic hit, we went to food to go. And uh, we're back into the building now. But because the shifting of tents and the shifting of people to different sections, the attendance is down to about 118. Uh, plus the Nativity House has picked up their game. But it's going to be impacted again with the changes that they're making at the Tacoma Rescue Mission for the next two years as they try to refurbish their kitchen. But that's been a real, real testimony. And the interesting thing about that breakfast, we we have a different, I'm there every Sunday. I've only, in the 20-something in years, I've only missed uh, one time sick, three times on emergency in Texas for death of family. And on the first Sunday, we have a group that comes from a Church of God in Christ group in Federal Way, plus a small number from Grace Baptist Church. The second Sunday, we have Emmanuel Presbyterian bringing a group. On third Sunday, an interesting group. It's a group that's based in Gig Harbor. They're the Jews for Jesus. And with emphasis on kosher food, they bring it all. Then on the fourth Sunday, that's the Sunday that we hosted as a church. And because we didn't have a large number of volunteers because of the ages of our group, one of the persons was involved with a soccer group. And now his soccer friends are all over. And they come in every fourth Sunday. Then each fifth Sunday, my fraternity runs it. And the interesting thing beyond this, we had a couple who just were walking down the street. They saw all the people that came in and talked to me. He said, we want to be involved. He's a retired Navy commander. His wife is a retired Air Force nurse. And he's there every Sunday. But he only likes to do one thing, and that make grits. He <laughs> specializes in grits. <laughs> he has a, he's only missed a couple of times. But he leaves instructions there. And when he gets back, he wants to know whether it's good as when he was there. <laughs> and he calls it the Florida recipe because he grew up in, in Gangsville, Florida. And, and his wife grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she does all the toast and she organized the serving. Then we have a couple that came from the, the uh, when PLU sold that radio station. One of the executives, he, they were walking by. And he and his wife is joined. And he comes in, he likes to crack the eggs and also dish out the grits. And his wife likes to assist in making the toast and then organizing the serving of the plates. And then we have another gentleman who was down and out on drugs, totally. We worked with him, got his medication, and was able to get an apartment down in, in old Winthrop. And he's there every Sunday morning at 6 o'clock to set up the chairs and to do any chores we want. It's been an unbelievable ministry. That type of stuff also inspires me. Yeah. So we have a cycle of Bible readings for all of our Sundays. Uh -huh. uh, and the one for this coming Sunday now is where Jesus says, the way that people will know that you're my disciples is if you love one another. And uh, you've just given us so many beautiful stories of that. So, anyone else like to have uh, engage some conversation? Yeah, Liz. You know me. I'm 
<laughs> Maybe just introduce, introduce your name. And um, this chick, um, Meredith Kordoffin, and um, we've been members all oh, 10 years or so. Um, Willie, I've seen, it's wonderful to see you. Um, I've always been in the audience and at various um, um, parts of my work life. I work for the Peach Sound Educational Service District, and um, what I, I appreciate seeing this side of you, this is more personal, because um, this is part of my, 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 our values are in our work. It's not like our work, it's our values is what are we do day to day, and I appreciate how you said relationships are a, a valuable input in in providing anti-racist work as well as equi equitable um, opportunities. And I appreciate how St. Mark's has provided opportunities for our young to older members of doing these vacations, uh, not vacations, but these trips into Montana and Mexico, as well as hosting um, the homeless for a warm place to stay and um, serving food and um, but we you know we've been doing these things but I'm wondering through your experiences um, have you seen an agency or, or a church where you're like oh my gosh they are providing um, exceptional service or connection um, just I'm trying to think of of, of what other things and ideas that St. Mark's could do that we haven't done I think what you're doing is wonderful. I think the, the magnitude of homelessness and all are so great. It's no longer where one agency can do it. What I'm concerned about is I'm hoping that we can come on an umbrella and decide on a course of action to get it to work. Because all we're doing is piecemealing. It's not solving the problem. And and there's no, I don't, you can do everything. You don't have the resources to meet the needs of all of them. But we combine it. Now, Bruce Danmeyer is hoping through his program with the village to do some work. Now, I serve on the Pierce County Housing Authority, and we had a four-hour retreat on Saturday, and it's just a magnitude of problems. For example, they have 121, 24 separate houses. Well, they spend, they lose all their profit in maintenance. And I, my recommendation, let's work with HUD sell them all, take that money, and build a multi-complex. So you have one site or two sites, when, so when you send the maintenance crew, you don't have to lose a lot of time and energy for repairs. Now, I also served for nine years on the Tacoma Housing Authority, and I want to toot my horn to say, if you go to the new Shalashan, that was one of my, I was the chairman of the board when that happened, along with, uh, with uh, Judge Rumba and a guy named Peter and Sarah. And we went back to, to Washington, D.C. And I tell you, uh, Representative Dix was just really on the top of it for us, and we got the whole 26 money. And, and, it's, and it's also mixed housing. In fact, some of the units are so good, a group from East, from Yugoslavia, a whole section, they, they bought off all the houses, private property. But uh, what you're doing is fine. I, I just think it's going to come from the from the mayors of the three of the four cities. 
to love some universal place like what Tacoma and kind of come together and say this is the direction we're going to go. I, I don't see it any other way because of the homelessness is increasing. You know, we, we jump on how bad Portland is, how bad Seattle is. Don't close your eyes on what's in Tacoma. Because if you go down Center Street, right across from Tacoma Screw Company, it'll shake you up. And if you go the one block just before you go to La Quinta down there, not only holes in the street, but it's trash one, uh, three blocks. You know. And Central School is an embarrassment. Seventh and Tacoma Avenue, go there. In fact, if I, I wouldn't, my daughter works in that building, but I, I wouldn't. It's not a safe fact they have to bring security there at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. And, and we know there are challenges. Any of you watched the news last night when they showed the special section on Tenderloin of uh, San Francisco? It was on last night. It's sad. It's sad. They were showing how they were shooting drugs, open, homeless, and then when people come to an area, they shoot them. You know, it's just our country. We have a serious problem. And, and we got to forget who we are by, let, by tags and say, you know, we have to have a little loving. You know. Love is the key. You can do all the rest. Without that, nothing happens. Thank you for your comments. Yeah. We have time for at least one more. If someone else has a, something you'd like to uh, engage conversation in. Okay, I'll let that Okay, thanks. I'll, I'll do, give you this so that everybody can hear it. <coughs> and see if I can say what I mean. <laughs> um, so, what can white people do? And I, I mean that. Um, what can we do? What should we do to uh, combat racism? Now, don't think that the burden is on the white people. <clears throat> it's on all Americans, as much of it from the other direction. You know, because, you see, our form of government is the most difficult government in the world. Democracy is the best, but it's also the most challenging one to implement because we're slipping and allowing it to power and dollars. And that's the problem. Somebody feels that somebody... You, you go to an organizational chart, well, you have to have a principal, you have to have an assistant principal, counselor, teacher, then paraprofessional. And each one is a category. So we have to learn that all of them are important for the operation of the place. And I, so I, the basic saying is you have to make sure that whatever encounter you have with anyone is based upon your feeling about the content of their character and what they represent rather than the color of the skin. I firmly believe that. And um, man, you can't, you can't, nothing can happen if you stay in a, you got to go to organizations and to things for, for to make it happen. But it can. You know, the state of Washington is a, we just don't have, you know, sure you have challenges here, but it's nothing like uh, the big cities. I have a sister who is 91 who lives in Houston, and I talk to her, and she tells me that. She won't move around at night. They go to banks for their two or three police officers there for their protection. They tell the women not to carry any purses. 
and that's all over. It's not in just one section. It's all over. We just this thing of could be drug driven. A lot of people who made that that profession. Yeah. Look at the, look at the pot shop robbers in Tacoma. Yeah. Kids 14 and 16. And this weekend, and last weekend in New Orleans, two girls, 15 and 16, one boy, 17, one 16, carjacked a woman and dragged her up over a block, killed her, and got away with the car. They finally made the rest. So, you know, it seems like we've lost our soul. And that's, that's, that's tough right now. And, and just time you think you focus on something. Well, one of the things right now that's interesting to talk about, in basketball between uh, the Golden State and Memphis, one claims that one is dirty versus the other because one hurt the player and claimed that was intentional. So, I mean, you just get in everywhere. I mean, it's tough. So there's a challenge out there. Well, thank you. And I'll hang around in case somebody go afraid to say something. I'll be here. I think what, what again, what's been... Um Oops, I'm going to use this for a second. This one's out of batteries. <laughs> What's well, been so um, really informative for me in your, in your storytelling is uh, just how individuals have made such a powerful impact, you know, both at one time, but then, I mean, you're still talking about them, you know, decades. And I think that's that just is such a reminder. We, we think collectively there's all kinds of really important things that we do collectively. Um, but I, your, your storytelling has really helped me, again, just recognize that the possibility that all of us have uh, as individuals to to really, uh, you know, have impact on, on all of this in ways that maybe we don't ever see ourselves. And you are one of those people who, uh, you know, when people tell stories about who has impacted them so profoundly in their lives, I know that there are thousands of people who would name you. So, again, thank you. Thank you for being here with us, and we'll continue to think of you and all the ways that you continue to serve, um, and God give you energy and, and uh, ongoing uh, fulfillment in all that you do, and um, again, thank you. And the school district rewarded me with the Willie Stewart Academy, oh. 19th of <laughs> That's right, yeah.